brother color life is wonderful I don't know if you've noticed it, but I, I surely have, and, and maybe more and more so in the last two to three years, that we human beings, when left to our sinful natures, can be machines of division, can be machines of putting people in different classes, and I don't know if you've noticed it, but I don't see how you could escape it if you ever happen to catch a news broadcast, how often in our world today, people are put into divisions based on wealth, based on race, based on education, based on job status, and I could go on and on, I'm sure you could go on and on too, that we are so good, and this is not just even though it might be really apparent in our culture today, look, this is not just something that affects the world we live in, but we can do this in our own marriages. We can be machines of division in our own marriages. We can be machines of division in our workplace. All it takes is a little well-placed gossip here and there. We can be machines of division even here in our church. And Paul encountered a congregation, the Apostle Paul, in the city of Corinth where this machines of division thing was <laughs> running rampant. And I'll show you that in just a minute. And he felt, as the founder of this congregation, he was the missionary who who founded this congregation, that he had to address that. And ironically, what was interesting was that part of the reason for the division was the Corinthians' unwillingness to confront issues in their own midst. Oh, they would gossip about one another. They would talk about the different classes of people. I follow Apollos. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I follow Apollos. Look at me in my class, in my group. And others would say, well, I follow the Apostle Paul. And still others looking to trump those two divisions would say, you guys go ahead and follow your men. I follow Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And do you notice what's happening there? That it's a weak, sinful attempt 
to find a class of people that you can glom onto to make you feel better about yourself. And we're going to talk about that self-centeredness today that often divides even the most loving of families, loving of church families, and loving, loving of countries. Who since World War II has done more good around the world than the United States of America? And I don't mean to get political. There may be some countries that you would think, well, they've done a lot of good too. But I mean, if you were the devil and you wanted to stop a lot of good things from happening in the world brought on by people like us, Christians, who are part of this society, you might have the United States of America in your gun sights to stop that. Today we're not going to talk so much about the U.S. and the nation we're going to talk about church because that's what Paul is talking about. But realize you can take all of this and transfer it to all the different little groupings that you're in and realize that Jesus is saying this simple truth. You may want to divide. You may want to point out differences. But the reality is we're far more similar to each other than we are different. We are far more alike than any differences that you may want to point out. Paul walks us through those this morning in 2 Corinthians. He's now writing to this church for a second time. And I'm going to read to you a, a section from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that basically says, we can never, ever, ever forget God's first love for us. And, and when we go to forget God's first love for us, we need to, as quickly as we possibly can, return to it. Because God's first love for us in Jesus Christ, our Savior, that's the anchor, the foundation of us being able to love one another without division, without jealousy, go all the way back to the very beginning, two brothers named Cain and Abel who became divided over a supposed gift to God. How do you let your worship divide you? But they did to the point of Cain killing Abel. And this is what Paul says. This is how Paul says to deal with that. For Christ's love compels us, mean, means uh, inspires us from within. That's what he means. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, from a worldly point of view, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Ah, what a great message. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ 
not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So I'm going to take you through three things that we are all alike in. I'm going to let you, if you want to, you can fill them in next to the Roman numerals 1, 2, and 3. Or if you want to wait, because I'll come back to each of them. Here's three ways that we are all more similar than we are different. Number one, we share the same motivations in life. We share the same motivation. Number two, we all share the same spiritual boat, which I'll get into what that means in just a second. We're all traveling together. We're all in the same spiritual boat. Okay, and number three, this is the most beautiful. We all share the same hope. Think about those massive similarities that we have. So I want to take you to a quote from a native Illinoisan. I thought this was pretty interesting. Sarah Dessen, uh, born and grew up here in Illinois, eventually moved to the Carolinas where she became an author. In fact, several of her books have been made into movies. Uh, most recently, I think 2019, uh, Netflix picked up her books to make some movies out of them. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that novelists have to really study human nature. They're going to write an interesting novel that seems real and true to life. They have to look at people, study them, and say, ah, I kind of see how people are. Well, look at Sarah. Midwestern girl, she says, but the bottom line is that as humans, we are by nature selfish creatures. The only way we care about anything, really, is by making it about us. Woof. That's pretty indicting, isn't it? The only way you care about anything is when you make it about you. Is that really true? Did Sarah nail it? Well, Martin Luther and I, I've shared this with you before, but maybe many of you haven't been here since I shared it, so I'll share it again. Martin Luther said, if I were to identify what exists as the root cause of all sin, you know what it would be? Is the, it, it would be that as humans, we turn inward into ourselves and no longer are turned outward toward our Creator, our Savior, and our Redeemer. Now think about that. Luther's really saying the same thing that Sarah Dessen said, that when Adam and Eve sinned, it was because the devil convinced them to think about themselves first. To no longer have godly ambitions, but to think about their own ambitions. To no longer listen to God's word. In fact, the very first words out of Satan's mouth were what? Did God really say that? Did God really tell you not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And so, right then and there, sin came into the world as 
Adam and Eve turned away from God, from God's word, from God's heart for them, for God's ambitions for them to their own. And that still exists as the root of our sins today. Now, that's a hard thing to admit, but it's so very true that one of the best-selling books of all times, not the Bible, that's the best-selling book of all time, but one of the best-selling books of all times written by a pastor named Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. Maybe many of you have read it. Do you recall the first line in it? It's not all about you. That's the first line in this book about living a purpose-driven life. Woof! Again, pretty confrontational. And that's because that's sin. And we all have to recognize it in some form or fashion. When we stand here on a Sunday morning every week to confess our sins... You could say it is some ramification or result of, Lord, I'm sorry, I've been self-centered and selfish again. I've been thinking about myself, not you and your love for me. So Paul comes along and he says this, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Notice that word, maybe underline themselves. Paul recognizes this is our issue. But for him who died for them and was raised. What's, what's the secret to a fulfilled, happy, at peace and productive life, it is through Jesus' forgiveness, one for you at the cross, to allow that grace and forgiveness to grab your head and turn your eyes from looking at your own belly button back up to him. To get that healthy circle that first existed in the Garden of Eden back to God blesses us and we worship and honor him. That's the way it's meant to be. And the only thing that can get us back there is what Paul says here. Christ's love compels us. The love of Christ changing us not from without, not building some kind of new habit just, but truly changes, changing us from the inside out. And doing this, did you notice how many times he says it? Not just for one, not just for a certain class. Do you, do you see what happens? For Christ's love compels us, and he says this three times, because we are convinced that one died for, can anyone help me? All. And therefore, all died. So everyone has, their sin has been paid for, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul is writing to a very divided church. In the, in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses this thing where, as I said earlier, people are saying, 
I follow this guy. I follow that guy. And as you go down through all the chapters, finally, you, you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where this division really is painted in all its fullness. You have to realize that when Paul is addressing it, it's because there's an issue. Okay, so what do you think Paul is seeing in this congregation of brother and sister Christians when he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you? What do you think is happening there? Pretty obvious, right? Some of the members of that church are saying, we don't need you. Dustin, I don't, I don't need you here anymore. Like, can you imagine how outrageous that is? That's outrageous. And how horrible if I meant that. And how horrible if he would mean that to me. But that's what was happening. And and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, transfer this from the church to your family. Do you ever suggest to your child or to your spouse, I don't need you? Transfer it to your place of work. Do you ever suggest to the guy in the cubicle next to you or the guy with the plumber's tools that's helping you fix stuff and that you ride in the truck with every day? Dude, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together. God's put the body together. Think about that. You are here in this body because God drew you here. Part of his plan. This is where God believes you can grow up into him and together with others. Giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, zero. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, well, we're all winners. Every part rejoices with it. That's Paul's advice because he sees that these people are being machines of division in their own church. And he basically says, in shorter words, as your pastor, as the apostle who founded this church, I'm not having it. It's not right. It's sinful, it's selfish. And we can't do church this way. We can't do church family. We can't do physical family, blood family. We can't do business. We can do nothing this way other than go our separate ways, which is not what God is looking for. So do what? Go back to the love Jesus has for you. The love that healed the division between God and you because of your sin. The God that brought reconciliation between himself and you. 
so that you could continue to be together with him, walking confidently that one day you will spend eternity forever with him. So here's what I want you to write down, number one. For Christ followers, Christ's love is the driving force in our relationships with others. It's the driving force, which means whenever you lose the thread, whenever we as a church family lose the thread, whenever you as a spouse, as a parent, as a child, lose the thread, whenever you as a coworker lose the thread, come back to the fact that you were loved in extraordinary circumstances, sinners that you were, selfish as you were, God continued faithfully to love you and restore you to himself through the cross and the empty tomb. Always return, because Christ's love compels us. Number two, what else do we share? We share the same spiritual boat. Look at what... uh, A gentleman named Raggy Thomas said in Forbes magazine, Unifiers create civilizations. Dividers destroy them. Unifiers have a mission and the ability to draw people to it. They know how to reconcile situations, putting the cause in others as opposed to themselves first. A lot of truth in that. However, I kind of want to do something counterintuitive and point out this quote how it's framed. He's talking about dividers and unifiers, and as he talks about this, what does he do? He creates two different classes of people. And he essentially says, I hope you're on the right side of this. I hope you're a unifier, not a divider. That would be horrible if you were a divider. In trying to remedy the problem, He piles on to the problem. We are division machines. Only Christ can rescue us from this. Only Jesus can restore us to being people who love unity. So we share the same spiritual boat. Let's look at what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I'm going to pause on that. What does he mean? What's a worldly point of view? It's what we're talking about. If I look at people from a worldly point of view, my question is, what class of people are they in? Is he a unifier or a divider? What race is he? How old is he? What generation? X, Y, Z, boomer. Man, we have so many divisions. It's incredible. Paul says, I don't look at it that way anymore. When I see people through the lens of Christ's love, I see that we're all far more alike than we are different. So I'm not going to look at people that way anymore as divisions and classes of people. I refuse to do that. And I even, Paul says, once regarded Christ in that way. As someone who is my enemy and the enemy of my church. I don't do that any longer, Paul says. Therefore, if anyone, meaning you and me too, is in Christ, 
The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And what a dramatic example of this, the Apostle Paul who's writing these words, he himself is. Who was more about dividing people than the Pharisees, which the Apostle Paul grew up as a Pharisee? He was taught from young on, look, you're a Pharisee, dude. Mm, there's no better class of people to be in than being a Pharisee. We're holy people. God's happy with us. You can pretty much turn your nose down on everyone else. Especially the Sadducees, they don't even believe in eternity. That's why they're so sad, you see. And on and on and on. Till the Apostle Paul hated the Christians, made a display of that. So this guy was taught to be a divider, not just the natural divider that you are when you're born and filled with sin, but now let's put you in a whole family situation where you're taught to be a divider because you're up here. You're on the top rung of the ladder. That's a great place to be. Associate yourself with the right people and you'll be right people. Ugh. I hope it's the opposite for us here at Amazing Love. I hope it's the opposite for you that you actually look around for people that might feel like they're not right people, in quotation marks. That you actually, when you come to church here, have your eye peeled for someone that might be hurting or anxious or need a pat on the shoulder, or a, a quick hug, or some kind words. Just enough love to say, no matter what, I love you because Jesus loves you. That's the dream that the Apostle Paul has for the Corinthian congregation, and he believes it's possible, and he says so. If anyone is in Christ, which you Corinthians are, by the way, you're a new creation. You can be not a reformed person, not a person that's gone to group and now kind of some of the outside things have changed, a few habits have changed. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying you are a new creation. You have been stripped to the studs and rebuilt entirely because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's the boat. We're all sinners, so we should all be equally humble. And we're all saved by Jesus, so we can all be equally grateful. Paul says this in Romans 3, 22 to 24. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Like he's, he's out there in front. Stop being a division machine. There's no difference between you. These are the two main groups in almost all of Paul's churches early on. He's looking out at them and saying, no matter how deep you think the divisions are, there's no difference between you. For all have sinned, so be humble. You're a sinner too. 
when you look at that other person that's really annoying, really upsetting, really aggravating, and you're thinking to yourself, if they would just get their act together, step back, get up on the balcony, and say, wait a minute, in all humility, I'm a sinner too. All of sin, there's that beautiful word again, and fall short, which you could transfer that word over here, and all fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by, the, by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Be equally humble because you are sinners. Be equally grateful because you are saved sinners. You are God's children. So, Write this down for point number two, and then we'll wrap up. Always fresh in our minds. And if it's not always fresh in your mind, find a way to stick this in the fridge, one of those fancy veggie bags, so it'll stay always fresh in your mind. Not really. I mean, just keep coming back to this. All people are in the same boat. Whoever you're angry with right now, you're in the same boat with them. They're a sinner, you're a sinner. They're saved, you're saved. We share the same sin and need the same Savior. And then finally, and hopefully briefly, we share the same hope. I want you to go back. Either, I'll give you two destinations. You can go back to a time when you were a child and you made your mom or your dad upset with you, and you got disciplined. Or you can go back maybe a little bit more recently to a time when you were a parent and your child did something that upset you, and you disciplined them for it. Pick, pick your destination. You got it in your head? Do you remember how that interaction ended? Now, here's what's interesting to me. I've shared with you that I didn't have the perfect mom and dad. But I can remember this as a child, and I tried to repeat it as an adult, a scene like this at the end of discipline. Anybody remember a scene like that in their own lives? As a parent, as a child, where at the end of the discipline, there was a moment where you said, I love you. I will never stop loving you. You are forgiven. We are together. That's what Jesus does for you and the Heavenly Father. Despite your sin, Jesus has reconciled you to the Heavenly Father. And that's what God calls us to do with each other. Let me tell you a practical habit and a tip the staff have already noticed. And some of them are adopting. It's what I call circling back. And circling back is when maybe there's been just a moment, a spark, a little tiff in a staff meeting or between two staff, and you're like a little bit unsure, are we okay? And a lot of people, you know what they'll do with that? They'll ignore it. 
they'll bury it. They'll just start pretending like everything's normal and everything's okay and it doesn't get brought up again. I don't deal with it that way because, first of all, <laughs> I believe I'm reconciled to God and Jesus Christ, so that gives me a little bit more hope that I can also reconcile with my brothers and sisters in this church. And so what I do is I circle back. Are we okay? Are we really okay? And I pray that you do that. Because that's the physical sign that you can work reconciliation in your own life. Look at what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry that is one of our volunteer services is to tell others about the reconciliation that Christ has won for us at the cross and at the empty tomb, but also to practice reconciliation with each other, to circle back. That God was reconciling the world, all of us again, similarity, not difference, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against us. That word, reconcile actually literally means change. It's a word that was used to exchange money. You take dollars and you exchange them into pounds, British pounds. And so it's changed. God's calling you and me and all of us to instigate change in our relationships. Wherever there is anger, Wherever there is separation, change that. Don't let it go. Don't let it sit there. Change it and be reconciled to your neighbor. Make it your way of life. And that's your final fill-in. For all of us, reconciliation now, since we are reconciled to God in Christ, it's become our way of life. And I pray that that will be the case for you, that you will commit in all your relationships here at church, back home in your families, at your place of work, no matter how annoying and aggravating that coworker is, to make reconciliation a way of life. You can affect so much change in our world if you do that. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be here today. We're so grateful that you have reconciled us to yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, make us ambassadors of reconciliation into the world, sharing what you have done to reconcile us to God and erase our sins, sharing also a habit of being a reconciler in a very deeply divided world. Lord, if the church will just shine bright with that light of being reconcilers, imagine what we can do in the dark world of division we have today. Enable us to do that by the power of your Spirit, Lord. And that starts within us. Start that change from deeply within us so that we are compelled by the love of Christ to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, join with me in this confession, which, by the way, we also share with each other. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, a couple of announcements, a couple of family matters here. Uh, first of all, you'll see most of them, but I think the biggest thing that I want to announce, because it's urgent, and that is that we're having a tailgate party out in the parking lot today that begins at noon, and we'll be tailgating and doing that in the parking lot. But without the Bears fans telling the Packer fans, I don't need you. <laughs> as tempted as you are, okay, or in reverse order either. All right, the other announcements, I'm going to kind of let you read for yourself, except this one more very urgent one, and that is Bible study starts today. Dan, you want to raise your hand just so everybody, there's your Bible study leader for today. I'll be leading it on other weekends. You have a thought? Yeah, do you want me to just read this for you, or do you want to get up here? Okay. So Dan wants me to point out, and it is coming up relatively soon, that on Sunday, October 2nd, here at Amazing Love at 1130, there's dirt bike ministry, which is really, I believe, intended to teach our kids how to ride a dirt bike, right? Isn't that the... And maybe a few adults like me, <laughs> how to ride a dirt bike. And uh, the time's now for learning how to ride a dirt bike. And uh, you can see, Dan, if you want more information, wear long pants and boots. All right, that's great. I'm going to pray. Dear, dear Father in heaven, thank you for your love that you have so given us. And we rely on that love as we pray for our members. Uh, Lord, help us as we pr pursue sometimes... Pleasantville in our physical daily lives rather than Pleasantville in our spiritual and eternal lives. Give us a heart open to hear what you tell us is real and true and kind and pursue that. Lord, uh, help us to display Christ-like love to those around us. Lord, we pray for all the kids returning to school that, that you would remind them constantly that you are always with them in this upcoming year. And Lord, for those who are sick or ailing or injured in our church, we pray that you would grant healing to all of them. We're so grateful for uh, the, the birth of Jeff and Raquel Fink's little baby boy, healthy. Uh, his name is Luigi, and we, we thank you for that immense blessing. We're thankful for Rebecca that her surgery went well. We ask you to continue bringing about healing for Bob and Don and Amanda Ventura's dad, for Diane and Hannah's father, for Kelly and Cheryl, that you will watch over all of them. And Lord, we pray for Joe Robertson that you would grant him strength and peace in the midst of things going on in his life. And for Loretta Gesmond, who was in an accident recently, we ask you for healing and strength and peace in her life. 
Lord, we lift up all these prayers to you, all these people to you whom we dearly love in the name of Jesus Christ, who also taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.